Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. All right. Hey, everybody, thank you. I'm Jesse, Grateful Recovering Compulsive Overeater. Um, Hi, Jesse. Great to be hey, with you. Jess. Hey, what's up, my peoples? Uh, I am unqualified, except I am qualified. I am a recovering compulsive reader for today. Um, I've shared my story. This will be my fourth time sharing my story. So I have, I have notes, but I have, I'm always updating what it was like then looking back. I was, I think I discovered my I discovered I, as I look back in life that you know five and six years old just being so enamored and connected to food love was food food was the way for me to calm uh, a very chaotic childhood a way to soothe a way to comfort it was a uh, it was the numbing and the protecting uh, was immediate as soon as I could find something to eat, even just thinking about eating uh, brought some comfort. Um, clearly, as a childhood, my uh, one of nine siblings, the third oldest, um, I, had a, I had a couple of nicknames because I would go around the food, I would go around the table as a child asking my siblings, are you going to eat that? Are you going to finish that? And it became a joke. One of my nicknames was vacuum cleaner, um, and other types of things, but it was humorized. Um, and it became like, a just a nickname that I carry that, uh, carries a memory. I look back now with, with, uh, the knowledge and the sobriety of the pain that must've inflicted on me. Um, food was, uh, the solution of my childhood, my young adult life and much of my adult life um, as a Pacific Islander. Um, many cultures, I'm sure, uh, share the, this common humanity that life is centered around eating and celebration. And as a Pacific big Pacific Islander, I think it was magnified. Just everything was surrounded by food, being born, being, you know, going to the next grade in school, getting baptized and all the church stuff, all the life stuff, there was food. Um, much of much of my memories as a compulsive eater, uh, I think is surrounded by, uh, and I didn't even discover this until I was in the program. And the second time in my program, I um, going back and remembering just how, my grandparents survived World War II, and that had an impact on them and a direct impact on me. And my parents were children in World War II, and they survived that. And that has had an impact and continues to have an impact on me. I have this notion in my head that why does everything seem like uh, it's I'm on the edge of a crisis? Why do I... Why do I not feel safe in this world at 63 years old? Why does it seem like everything is, there's landmines everywhere. And uh, 
I've never been diagnosed with PTSD, but if if uh, even if I never was, I would say that I really experienced a great deal of trauma, physical beatings, shaming, verbal abuse, um, and to witness that, to witness that, um, uh, those kinds of things, not just on myself, but to witness it happening to my siblings was exponentially uh, a wounding that uh, still uh, still strikes grief in my in my memory so food was the the solution it was a way that i could not only just repress and suppress and push down all the fear and all the confusion and all the chaos and all the anxiety um but i could put on weight i remember a therapist telling me 15 years ago um that that even though as a child when i'd try to put on an extra pair of pants or an extra pair of underwear or a, a comic book so that when my dad would whip us with a belt or an electrical cord or a curtain rod or whatever was at his disposal that the only way that we could the only way that we'd escape that kind of that kind of if is if uh, or the only way that we wouldn't escape wouldn't be able to numb as if when my dad would take off our, our pants and our underwear and, and, and whip us on our bare skin. And then the therapist, my therapist said, no, there actually is another way you could pad. And it took me a while to realize. And I started crying and I'm thinking, you mean to tell me that a child will somehow subconsciously eat food so that they can insulate and pad against physical pain? Uh, it just really wrecked me. Um, and, uh, it's, that was just, that was the birth of a lot of shame and self-hatred and self-loathing and self-doubt. That is the chorus. That is a chorus that is played in my, in my mind and in my psyche, that something is broken in me, that I'm fractured, that I'm, don't have a place in this world. And if, and, and, and just get used to the misery just get used to the suffering. And I will tell you that uh, my job for the past 45 years has been a motivational speaker in the church, that my work is to be good news and to encourage and be a source uh, of some hope and cultivation of hope and joy and peace. And uh, I cannot tell you how that wrecked me, not knowing just how much that wrecked me. I even wore a smiley face shirt for about 30 years, um, a big, bright yellow shirt with a big smiley face shirt. And people referred to me as the smiley face guy, as a smiley face person and said, are you always happy? Are you always as, as joyful as you look? And I would say, hey, you know, it's the Holy Spirit. Um, what I couldn't tell them was that, no, I was lying i was uh that i i could not figure out how to cultivate joy or hope or the same kind of encouragement and affirmation that i could do on a microphone for them because the most terrifying moment of working in in my career was leaving the stage and going back to the hotel where all the oceans and of 
self-doubt and the judgment of duplicity and self-loathing would just reappear. Um, so I'm still very capable of sinking into that ocean of self-doubt. Um, I'm still very capable of lying. I'm still very capable of harming myself very, very capable of repeating those old patterns that have wrecked me. And uh, um, I'm here to tell you that, uh, you know, there's a uh, coming back to the coming back to the program. I, I met a number of you over 22 years ago, maybe 23 years ago at St. Paul's at the face to face. And uh, I remember it not being a deep dive but I can tell you today that that was important for me to show up anyway, because here I am back after 22, 23 years um, at this meeting almost every day now, almost every day, um, so that I I don't look back at, at, at not making more progress with any regret or shame. I look back today, I'm able to look back because of this program, because I, I am just really clinging to gratitude and counting the blessing that I do have. Um, I, you know, when Noah first asked me to speak and, and, and the other three times that I've spoken before, I always went in with, uh, always felt this, I'm not worthy. Um, my recovery isn't not, it's not even halfway consistent. I don't talk to my sponsor, email my sponsor enough. I have one sponsee. I used to have four sponsees. Um, now I'm down to one. And so there's this part of me that's that compulsive part of me that just wants me to focus on how inconsistent I am or or just how bad I am at recovery or any other uh, or for me to just keep harping about how difficult this is. Uh, and I. And I can tell you today, uh, being in this program gives me an opportunity and a way to catch those kinds of vibes and those thought patterns to get back to, you know what, I'm, I'm powerless over this disease. And thank you. Coming back to the program has saved my life. I was divorced in 2017 after almost 30 years of marriage um i thought i would always be i would grow old with someone um and now today for today i listen i hear those promises and they speak to me and i am reading this book called a new beginning um and i'm just grateful that the path back to OA uh, is one day at a time. That these steps, that this, the tools, that any way that I can just catch myself and turn stuff over, that I can work this program today with honesty, knowing that I'm capable of dishonesty, and that's and that's not a judgment. That's just. I'm staying curious 
curious, hopeful, faithful, grateful, um, and just keep turning this stuff over. Uh, my solution is showing up. I heard somebody say at a AA, AA program uh, meeting that um, and and here at the OA meeting that we get to show up and the angels do the heavy lifting. So I'm not today. I'm not focused on how well I'll do. Today I'm focused on how grateful I am that I have this program, that the solution is this program, that the promises are real, and that it works not just if we work the program, it works as we work the program, and we work it with great imperfection, but we're working it. The program is the relationship that I have with my higher power. It's relationship with everyone that I hold dear in my life and directs my life, uh, the program. It's not about weight loss. It's not about dieting. Uh, it's about living differently uh, and working the program and being in community one day, one day, sometimes one hour at a time, sometimes one hour at a time. So I consider you all my higher power I can, you know, I've been a religious person for most of my life, but I will tell you that the program, the program has given me a depth of faith, not religiosity, but a depth of faith in a power greater than myself. And that's what I, you know, I wrote a song called Hold On To Love. And now whenever I sing it, it usually ends with hold on to love, hold on to love. And now I'll tell the audience, now try this, let go with love, let go with love, let go with love. And that for me is the key to trust a power greater than myself to admit that I'm powerless over a lot of things and a lot of people, a lot of circumstances. And there's a power that can restore me to sanity and that I give my life and my will over to the care of that power. And that saves my life, restores my relationship with food, with myself, with my mind, with my spirit, with my soul, with my body. So keep coming back. It works as we work it. And uh, whew, thanks for listening. <laughs>